This is episode 46 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me tonight to recap game one and two of the Edmonton Oilers' first round series against the Los Angeles Kings is an Oilers fan from Stockholm, Sweden, Kim Alfstrom. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to break down these games, especially with the time difference. Uh, do you normally wake up in the middle of the night to watch the Oilers games, or is it a little easier for you to record them and, and watch it the next day? You know what? I, I don't really get into recording and watching the next day because I, I like following along on Twitter and like seeing what people write and all the emotions going on right there and then. So I usually go up for not all the games, but a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's something about watching sports live that's just, yeah. you can't replace it, right? I mean, th there was a, there were many years where I worked uh, evenings at my job, so I had to record a lot of Oilers games and watch them after it was already over. And, you know, you can try to pretend like you're watching it live, but it, there's just, there's something about actually seeing it as it's happening that you, you really can't replace, I think. Yeah, and I can't. I can't really keep my hands from from the phone, and I don't want to be spoiled with the with the results. So. Exactly, that's a tough thing. I I always had yeah. to turn my phone off because I knew that I would either see something pop up on my phone, or yeah. a friend would be texting me an update. So I just, yeah, it, it was uh, tough to do that. But thankfully, it was during the decade of darkness for the most part <laughs> when, when I was working all those evening shifts. So I'd get home from work at 10 or 10.30 and I'd usually watch them, you know, lose a 5-1 game to Anaheim <laughs> or something. So thankfully yeah. those, those days are, <laughs> those days are past us now. And uh, we're, we're talking about happier times now that we're in the playoffs. Um, but before we get into breaking down more of a, uh, the playoffs so far. I'd just like to hear a little bit about your own background as an Oilers fan. So uh, when did you first get interested in hockey and how did you become an Oilers fan living in Sweden? Yeah, so you know what? I, as you said, I, I live in Stockholm, Sweden now, uh, but I grew up uh, much further north uh, of, of here in Sweden in a little place called, called Bodan. Uh, and uh, up there, it's it's only about hockey, not not so much much about like soccer or football, as we call it. So, uh, just like being from there, we had a, a team playing in the next highest division, and just thirty minutes from from our city, it was a much bigger city with a team in SHL or Elite Serien, as it was called back then. Uh, so it, it it just came naturally, like yeah, going to hockey and uh, so. But uh, being an Oilers fan is a <laughs> is another story. It's, uh, actually, the team uh, thirty minutes from our our city uh, called Lule Hockey had a, a player called Linus Umark, as I'm sure you know of, Oilers legend Linus Umark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so back in, uh, I think it was drafted in like 07 or something and yeah. started playing in uh, Edmonton uh, 2010. And I, I remember the I first think, game he played with uh, the Spinorama shootout winner against the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah, in December yeah. of 2010. That's what made him a, a legend. <laughs> well, you know, even so, before he played that game, he was sort of a YouTube sensation. I can yeah. remember back watching videos of him in 2009 of moves that he was pulling off in the Swedish league or uh, on the international stage. And I, I yeah. just was thinking like, man, this guy, you know, he isn't the biggest player, but his skills are incredible. And I, I just couldn't wait to see him come over to North America and play for Edmonton. Yeah, just too bad. I think if if he would have been like 25 now and came over like a couple of years ago he might, he would have a much better shot on making making an NHL team for long yeah i think was. that the, the league now is better set up for a smaller gifted yeah. player like him 
than it would have been, say, 10 to 12 years ago when it was a much more physical uh, grinding league where it was there was more emphasis put on uh, cycling the puck down low as opposed to letting the skill shine through a little more. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 like you said, I mean, it it is a a better league now for smaller guys like him. And yeah, maybe he was just uh, 10 years too early. Yeah. So and just as he started playing in in the NHL, uh, the first season of uh, Oil Change aired, and that's what really got me got me hooked uh, and interested in in Edmonton. Uh, I really enjoy the like behind the scenes look, and maybe not the production value wasn't maybe the greatest on Oil Change, but still had a lot of like interesting moments where you could like be in the yeah. room in the in the draft and everything so that that what was the the tipping point for me yeah the unfortunate thing with oil change is that the team didn't change as much as they would have hoped that they would have yeah. but <laughs> I, I mean it, it was interesting like you said to see a little behind the scenes of how things were going at the draft when they were picking taylor hall first overall and yeah. just just kind of what what went on uh, during that period of time, and I think they ran it for four seasons, if I'm not mistaken, right up until yeah, something uh, like that. I'm pretty sure the last episode was when Ryan Smith retired in 2014. Oh, that's right. So, so I mean, it was it, it's really cool to look back, and I I haven't watched it in several years, but no, I I enjoyed it when it was on. Like, but like I said, it's it's just too bad that the team didn't uh, make more of a change as as the documentary was sort of leaning towards doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, that's uh, that's interesting how you became an Oilers fan that way. Uh, do you still follow the SHL quite a bit? Though? Like, do you, do you go to games? Uh, I do, but um, as I was saying, I, I live in, in Stockholm and it's quite far from the, the team I grew up watching. So I go when they come, come here. That's a couple of times a year. And if I have time when we go back home, um, but actually, my that team Lule Hockey is in the finals right now. So it's oh, nice! Two-two in in uh, best of seven. And actually, if Lule wins it, the the MVP of the playoff is Lightness Omar. Really? He, yeah, he returned back uh, from his. Um, yeah, yeah he, you know, he played in Russia, he played he in He was playing in Switzerland. I, I was going to say that. I think he, I remember him playing in Switzerland for a while. Yep. So this is his first year back, and he's like 34, 35. Uh, and most of the... Been, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, he's been dominating in the playoffs, and so he's the, for sure, MVP if they, if they win it. Yeah, I've I've heard that he's had quite a bit of success over in uh, the various European leagues, and most of the leagues try to wrap up around this time of year so that all the players are available to play in the World Championships in May, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it a big deal the World Championship in in Sweden? Like, do you hear about it quite a bit on TV and in the sports news? Yeah, it's it takes up like all all the sports news. Uh, because of the the SHL is uh, over when they when they started, so all the all the hockey it's a little bit of NHL, but mostly the the World Cup. So yeah, it's it's big. And I'm trying to remember. I think Sweden won a gold medal at the Worlds. Was it in 2014 or 2015? Uh, yeah, they beat uh, Canada, uh, right? I, I think they won in in the mid twenty tens. Just tell me, what was that sort of like when Sweden won that, or or even back in uh, two thousand six when they won the gold medal at the Olympics? I mean, that must have been even a bigger deal. Yeah, people go go out in, in the streets when when the team return back home. They just fill an entire like area in in Stockholm and have a huge like celebration and various artists plays and it's it's so much people going like bonkers for it. Oh yeah, I mean I can only imagine. I I remember when uh, 
Canada won gold in 2010 and even before that in 2002. It was just, it, it was like a, a national celebration from coast to coast. So yeah. I, I figure it would be the exact same in Sweden, which is another hockey mad country. Uh, yeah. You you kind of talked about Omark being one of the, the first Oilers players that you really followed. Uh, who are some of your other favorite Oilers players of all time? Well, the the first like jersey I got was Taylor Hall. So he he was the the player I really like followed. Um, but before then, it's it's not that much really. Uh, before then, I most mostly followed you know the the Swedish guys in various teams, uh, and and especially growing up, um, Peter Forsberg, Mats Lindin. Niklas Lidström, you know those the the stars on on various teams. But I don't really have like a favorite favorite Oiler player like growing up. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Like you said, uh, going back to you know ten years ago or so, twelve years ago when you were were first getting into it, uh, it it's not like you um, were were cheering for the team. Say in the the Ryan Smith or Alish Hemsky days before that, like that's when a lot of the people in my age group growing up, those were sort of their idols yeah. and those heroes. But you know, for a whole new generation now, there's the McDavid's and the Drysidles and the Nugent yeah. Hopkins. So I mean, there's there, there's different players for every uh, for every age group. Um, I, I want to just talk about uh, uh, some Swedish players who are in the Oilers, particularly Philip Broberg. You know, he's a, a young up-and-coming top prospect for the Oilers organization. Yeah. Have you ever had the chance to watch him play live? And uh, what do you think about the player overall? Uh, I haven't actually seen him uh, live. Uh, he played down in, uh, not the SHL, uh, in Allsvenskan before he, he played his one year in Skellefteå, which is in SHL. Uh, and that was during the, like the COVID season, so I didn't really get to go to live hockey back then. I haven't seen him play live actually, but he's such an interesting prospect, and I, I'm, well, pretty sure he will lock up like a top four role in Edmonton in two or three years. Does it add some excitement for you though for the Oilers to? Uh, either draft a Swedish player or trade for a Swedish player. Does it not really matter to you uh, where they come from? Not, not now. No. Uh, maybe when I first started, or or so, just to have like a Swedish, some Swedish guys, and I did enjoy having Clefbaum and Adam Larsson. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't say like not now. Maybe if if they like would would have traded for like a superstar. Or like God, Philip Forsberg, or or someone like that, it would be pretty cool because it's Swedish. But uh, and Clefbaum really is not. such a popular player here too. I mean, can you imagine if he was healthy and playing on this team yeah. right now? As good as the Oilers are right now, adding a a healthy Oscar Clefbaum would uh, take them even that much further. I believe. Definitely, then we we would have been the like favorite to come out of the west maybe exactly at least to win the pacific division but yeah uh, i think that having a another top blue liner like him i mean just with with nurse and clefbaum on the blue line at their at their current ages it, it would just take this team so much further and no no disrespect to the guys they have right now like i like brett kulak uh i, I like Definitely. chris russell for the role he plays but Clefbaum was such a difference maker for this hockey club. And it's just, it's a real shame that he's missed the past two seasons now. And it looks like his career might be over. Yeah, I think it is. Now, as, you, as you're saying, imagine if Duncan Keith and, and uh, Bouchard were the third pairing. And we had like yeah. Clef and, and uh, Adam Larson as a second pairing. And as good, really... as, as good as Keith and Bouchard are, if you were able to even drop them down, like you said, to the third pairing and have uh, that much more talent. That's when this team would really be deep on the back end. Yeah. Um, uh, the NHL hosted the 
2018 NHL Global Series in Sweden where the Oilers played the New Jersey Devils. Did you have a chance to go see that game? And if so, what was it like to watch your favorite NHL team in your home country? I did, actually. I uh, We flew from, me and my wife took a, a weekend in Gothenburg. Um, so it's, it was a really cool experience. Um, the game itself was kind of like dull. Yeah, I think they lost five to two. Yeah. Um, and the the crowd wasn't like super into the game, except for the Canadian fans that had made the, the trip. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so, but the whole like experience and outside the arena where they had put all this stuff to do and hockey memorabilia to to go see and stuff. So the whole weekend was was super cool. But the game itself was kind of kind of boring. Yeah. Well, I, I thought you might have, because I saw your profile picture on Twitter, and you're wearing your Oilers jersey at a game, uh, but it, you can't really see what's in the background. And I, I was wondering, I said, I, I wonder if that was at the, the Global Series game. So I had to ask you that. Yeah. It's not, actually. It's from uh, Rogers. Oh, that is Place. it. Yep. Okay, well, you beat me to my next question. I was going to say, have you ever had the chance to come to Edmonton for a game, or do you plan to in the future? But now that I know you've come, uh, when did you come over to uh, Canada for the first time to see the Oilers play? And do you remember uh, uh, who it was against, how many games you saw when you were here? Yeah, it was actually just a couple of weeks after the Global Series. Oh, wow. Uh, I made the travel with um, a bunch of different the guys from Sweden through a, a hockey site here called Hockey Sverige. So it was like Hockey Sverige together with Oilers Nation that had this trip. So we made 20 or, 20 or so guys uh, to go see three games. And uh, so we saw uh, Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So three real, really good games. And that would have been in the 2018-19 series. Uh, was there yep. any of the games that stood out to you the most that was your favorite one? Uh, well, the the last one against Washington, we won. So that, that stood out. And uh, Evan Bouchard uh, scored his first Oh, uh, I remember the goal. game. Yeah. And yeah. The... Slap shot from the point. And I think that was actually yep. his last game before they sent him back to yeah. junior. I think so too, yeah. And the game before against Pittsburgh was... Also, a super good game. We lost in uh, in OT. And oh, I think the, I that was the game where yeah. Crosby deked out Ryan Strom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just such an amazing goal to to be in the building to to see. And I think I will like always remember that goal, even though we lost. Well, I mean, aside from seeing your favorite team, you also had the chance to watch Sidney Crosby and Alex yeah. Ovechkin in those two yeah. games. So it's not like you, you didn't get to see any superstars while you were here. No, exactly. And no, it was an amazing trip and we were treated like royalties from everyone we met and uh, the whole city of Edmonton just like, took us in. And, uh, it, it was amazing. That's awesome, man. And and the final thing I just wanted to ask you is what your favorite memory of watching the Oilers is. But you listed quite a few over uh, the last <laughs> few minutes. Is is there one that sticks out above all the rest as uh, your best memory watching the team, either on TV or live in person? Well, I think the the overtime win um, in the playoffs, uh, seventeen against the the Sharks, David Dearnay. Yeah, exactly. What a pass by Dreisaitl to see yeah. him streaking in from the point and buried at top shelf. That, yeah. that I think that game, since the 2006 playoff run, that might be one of, if not the most memorable playoff goal that's been scored by the Oilers. Yeah. <laughs> so so fun. I was commuting to, to work, so I watched the game. And the the overtime on my phone. Oh, nice! I was uh, in the in the subway and like sharing them on and and like going 
Banana free going, free going crazy on the subway. Yeah. And everyone's wondering what's yeah. going on. <laughs> this guy, like early in the morning, what, what's he up to? Yeah. Yeah, I guess because <laughs> I mean, that was in, I think it was double overtime, wasn't it? I don't remember actually. But it must have been, like you said, because of the time difference, it would have been an early, yeah. early morning game for you in Sweden. Yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a. Uh, that that's a pretty memorable goal, uh, but uh, let's hope that there's going to be a few more of those this spring uh, in the 2022 playoffs. Now, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I really appreciate you sharing that, man. And now let's talk about Game One between the Oilers and Kings uh, on Monday night. I was in Edmonton for that game, and it was an incredible experience to finally attend my first live Oilers playoff game, even though we didn't get the result we were looking for. Um, the Oilers fell behind two, nothing in the first period, but they battled back to tie the game three, three before the end of the second. Unfortunately though, Mike Smith misplayed the puck with just over five minutes left on the clock. And that ultimately cost the Oilers the game as they dropped a four, three decision to LA Kim. A lot of Oilers fans were understandably frustrated with Smith for his late game blunder, myself included. But yep. I, I still thought the Oilers played fairly well overall, and they really took over the game in a second period with tons of shots and a couple power play goals. Did you think the Oilers should have gone back to Smith for game two, or were you wanting Miko Koskinen to replace him after that uh, late game mistake that he made? No, I, I think uh, Smith was the, the, the right choice. Obviously, because we know, all know what happened. But I thought uh, Smith was the the right choice. Um, he's he's been like this his whole career. Like everyone says, he's a battler and everything. But yeah, uh, it was pretty obvious. Like he he would go in and and have a great game. Yeah, and I mean, Smith is really like a third defenseman with his puck-moving ability. Yeah. And that's a major asset against a, a hard forechecking team like the Kings. And, you know, when you play a high-risk, high-reward style like he does, sometimes the puck ends up in the back of your own net. And unfortunately for the Oilers, it happened at the worst possible time. But I, I still think that you can't uh, you can't hang that entire game on Mike Smith. Like, yes, you would have liked that third goal uh, from Brendan Lemieux to not have gone in. Like, the yeah. Oilers worked so hard to tie the game 2-2, and then just under two minutes later, the Kings are back in front 3-2. I, I just think, yeah, that that's a save you had to get, but really, it wasn't all on him. They They looked like they just weren't ready for the moment from the jump. You know they yeah, they gave they nervous. gave up a they gave up a scoring chance early on, and it just looked like there was a lot of nervous energy. And maybe that's from two straight years of getting bounced in the first round when they were the favorite. That there was a lot of pressure to come in and make sure that they win a series this year. But it just, yeah, yeah it just it looked like they weren't ready for game one. And they like we said they they fell behind early and had to really scratch and claw to get back into it. And they did. It's just that the. Uh, the the end result wasn't what they were looking for after a, a disappointing uh, play by Smith. Yeah, and as, as you were saying, he can't give up that third goal. That that's the the major fault. Well, it I killed think. their momentum, right? I mean, yeah, the building was electric after Kyler Yamamoto redirected that Duncan Keith slap shot. Mm -hmm. So now you've you know Connor McDavid scored that beautiful goal late in the first period, I think with 42 yeah. seconds left. Yeah, such and, an important goal. And I had such a great view of that goal because he was skating down my side of the ice. Mm -hmm. And from where he released the shot, it was almost straight below me. So I, I had a, a perfect view for that goal. And th I, that's something that I'll always remember, uh, that, that he scored it not only at the end of the ice where my seat was, but uh, coming yeah. down the, the right wing where I was seated, but just, yeah, like we said, Yamamoto then scores to tie it. And unfortunately they give it right back. And, and then of course the Oilers continue to put on the pressure and Leon Dreisaitl also scores a power play goal to tie it three, three. So going into the third period, I felt pretty confident that, 
the Oilers had a chance to come back and win this game. And yeah. it, it was really looking like the game was going to go to overtime, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. The, those like minutes before before Smith's mistake, they were yeah. It looked felt like the game had gone into some sort of like nothing much happening. It, it they're like don't want to make a mistake, and obviously Smith had to go out and and do that, but. Yeah. And I think one of the most yeah. disappointing things is, is that he had two options where he yeah. could have passed the puck. He had Bouchard on one side and Duncan Keith on the other. And instead of making the easy pass to one of the defensemen where they could have just sent the puck up along the boards and got it out, he chose to send it right up the middle of the ice where it was picked off. And then he had to dive back to make an incredible save. Yeah. But unfortunately it still ends up with a redirected shot into the back of the net uh, by Philip Deneau. And that was just such a killer. I, I felt like, you know, that sucked all the momentum and energy out of the building. And the Oilers, you know, give them credit. They they didn't give up until the very end, but it just, mm-hmm. they, they, they couldn't get that one last goal they needed to send it to OT. Yeah. No, but uh, Smith, he wanted to be like, he wanted to be a hero. Or he he felt that Quick were doing amazing saves on the other end, and he he gave up that uh, lousy third goal. He wanted to to make something happen and to to stand out. And, and sometimes when him. you when you do that, it's a costly error, and yeah. it and it was for the <laughs> Oilers. Um, all right, I want to get your thoughts on Darnell Nurse now. And, and look, I'm a big fan of his, but he had a really tough start to Game One. And, yeah. you know, he, he looked like he hadn't fully recovered from the lower body injury he suffered 10 days earlier. Um, mm-hmm. He was caught out of position on the first play of the game, which led to uh, a scoring chance for the Kings, and he failed to cover the slot on their first goal. Do you think it was the right decision for Nurse to play in Game 1, or should he have waited a little longer until he was back to 100% before playing? No, I think it, I think it was the right decision. Uh, even though, as you were saying, some some of the place was not the the nurse were were used to, but I feel much more confident with nurse playing on like eighty percent of his abilities than giving those minutes to someone else and having Chris Russell playing much more than he did. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that stood out to me right away is his skating. Like Darnell Nurse is one of the fastest mm. skaters on the team. He's one of the best skating defensemen in the NHL. But he, you could see that he wasn't able to get up to the speed that he normally is. And and look, Nurse is an ultra competitive guy, and he obviously yeah. never wants to miss a single game, especially a playoff game, unless he absolutely can't go. But you could just tell that there was some rust in his game after missing the last four games of the regular season. And even though he... Sorry, go ahead. No, even getting up from when from someplace when he like uh, fell over and and such, he he looked like it took him a while to to get up. So you could definitely see that it was bothering him. Exactly. And... You know, even though he played about five minutes fewer than his season average in game one, he still played the most minutes of any Oilers defenseman. So with seven defensemen dressed, including three other left shot guys, I would have played nurse, but cut down his ice time even more just to ease him back into the lineup. Uh, Brett Kulak and Chris Russell took on more minutes while nurse was out of the lineup and I think you could have elevated them and, and sort of given Nurse a little bit of an easier matchups to start. Mm. Same with Duncan Keith. Like, there's no reason he couldn't have played a few extra minutes just to cut down on Nurse a bit. Because coming back from injury and, and having to go right back to being the number one defenseman, I mean, that's a tough position to be put in for anyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And especially since Duncan Keith and Brent Kulik has been really good. Uh, they have lately. Yeah. yeah. 
I uh, think Duncan Keith uh, has been quite impressive so far in the playoffs. And when the Oilers traded for him last summer, there were some people who didn't like the the move to bring him in. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought, you know, he makes too much money. The Oilers didn't get the uh, Blackhawks to retain any salary on him. That he and and look, he isn't the player that he was five years ago. But I think defensively, he's still all right, and his skating ability and passing ability is still quite strong. So this is the time of year when they really need him to step up. And, and you look at uh, all the deep playoff runs that Duncan Keith has been on in his career. This is the time when he is going to be most valuable to the Oilers and can sort yeah. of not only not only impart some uh, some wisdom and experience from from having been to the Stanley Cup final several times, but uh, you know he he was a the top pairing defenseman on all those deep runs as well. And, and even though he's not that guy anymore, uh, you know he knows what it takes to win in the playoffs. So I would expect that as as good as he was in the regular season, I, I think that he's going to take his game up even another couple notches as we keep going here in the playoffs. Yeah, I think so too. And and just uh, uh, the value of having him next to to Evan Bouchard, yeah, which is a, a playoff rookie because he didn't get to play last year. So yeah, it, and that was a tough situation too. I mean, it was it was really a numbers game. Yeah. I, I I do think they should have found a way to fit him into the lineup more. Uh, obviously, they still had Ethan Bear at the time, and Bear was ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, yeah. now, and, and look how well Bouchard has played so far. Uh, yeah. I think I really like that pairing of him and Duncan Keith because you've, you've got this one veteran defenseman who's 38 years old and has played you know, 1300 games in the NHL. And then you've got a, a guy like Evan Bouchard who is 22 and, and hasn't even played a hundred games. I mean, this was really his first full NHL season this year. And, and he was able to score over 40 points. I think the, you know, the future is so bright for him, but he's still a young defenseman. And for all intents and purposes, he's a rookie and there's going to be some rookie mistakes along the way, but you hope that having a guy like Duncan Keith to insulate him a little bit will, you know, really help him going forward here too. Yeah, for sure. The, I, I think they're playing, as, as I said, really good right now. So I think, yeah, yeah that's apparent to, to keep getting more minutes if uh, Nurse isn't 100%. Did anyone else stand out for you in game one? Who else do you think played really well despite the loss? Well, I, I actually think no one really stood out. Uh, it was a good team team effort. I, I think they they could have won that game easily if, if it wasn't for like some mistakes uh, in in the defensive zone. So Ryan McLeod was was impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if uh, I'm going to say someone, it's it's definitely him. I think McLeod is getting better each and every game. He's just he, you can see him continuing to grow and become a better player. And uh, he's another guy like Bouchard, who's only 22. And I think those yeah. guys are big parts of the Oilers' future. And as as impressive as McLeod was this year, he's only going to continue to get better and you know really develop into possibly being. Uh, a top third line center for the Oilers. And uh, maybe he'll even get moved up to play on the wing. Like he can, he can moonlight in the top six on the wing if he has to, but you know, he could really be one of the better third line centers in the league. uh, If he continues at uh, this progression. Yeah. You just need to, to like get into better scoring positions and, and find the back of the net a bit more. And, and but, we're seeing uh, the scoring it, touch start to come from him in the second yeah. half of the season here. But yeah. like you said, he can he can take that aspect of his game up even more. But he's aside from Connor McDavid, he's the second best skater on the team. Yeah, definitely. And you know he might not have the the puck skills that Connor does, but the way he's able to transport the puck from his own end into the offensive end. I mean, if you can have a guy who can make 
effortless zone entries like that, that's so valuable in your bottom six. Yeah, and it looks really good on the on the second power play as well, doing the McDavid entry and and also distributing the the puck really good. Well, for sure, and you know, I I also think Connor McDavid obviously had a a stellar game in in game one. I mean, the the goal yeah. he scored was incredible yeah. down the rush, just to get his team back in it. Like he he almost said, "I'm going to single handedly uh, get the Oilers back into this game," and then. Uh, he al- also added an assist on Leon Dreisaitl's power play goal. And just, you know, he was dangerous all night. But another guy who really stood out to me was Kyler Yamamoto. You know, yeah. he, he, for a small player, he doesn't back down from anyone. He's always willing to mix it up in the corners and, you know, battle for loose pucks in front of the net. And uh, he's just fearless when he when he gets into those uh, board battles. Uh, he Like we said, he scored a goal. He also had an assist. I just think that that was a, a, a really impressive game from him because last year uh, he kind of was pretty quiet in the playoffs. So for him yeah. to sort of make a statement that he's not going to let that happen again, I think that was that was big for him. Yeah, and talk about like an up and down season from from Yams. Uh, he was so quiet. Um, well, he started really and, quiet. You know, he—I don't yeah. think he had a goal for the first. Oh, was it twelve or thirteen games? And then once he got rolling, it started to take off from there. And he ultimately ended up with twenty goals and forty-one points, which is you know yeah. half a point a game pace. So he—he he definitely got better as the season went on, and I think that he has the potential to be a fifty-plus point player. He—he's yeah. still only twenty-three, and. Uh, I, I think that aspect of his game will continue to get there, but it's just you love to see a guy who's never willing to or never afraid to back down from a challenge, and and he he plays bigger than he is. Yeah, definitely. He he's just ferocious. As he must be uh, so so hard to play against. Uh, so he he definitely had a. a uh, great first game as well, as you we were saying. For sure. Well, let's look uh, at. Do you like him? Sorry, or, what's do you, do you like him more with uh, McDavid line or with uh, Drysaitel? You know, I think that he does work well with with McDavid when he gets to play there. But I th- I think that he should play with Drysaitel for the most part. I like McDavid with Puliyarvi and Drysaitel with Yamamoto. We we saw two years ago how well. Yamamoto clicked on that line with Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl. And even though Nugent Hopkins has moved back to center now, I think there's still just a lot of chemistry between Dreisaitl and Yamamoto. So I would keep them together. Yeah. Same for me. I I think uh, uh, that's our optimal lineup right now to to have Yamamoto with Dreisaitl. Oh, agreed. All right, let's talk about game two now. And this was a much more positive result. Uh, <laughs> Evander Kane scored two third period goals and Mike Smith turned aside all 30 shots he faced to propel the Oilers to a dominant 6 nothing victory and even the series at one. Uh, Kim, just what can you say about Evander Kane stepping up in the third period? Like I said, scoring two big goals to sort of seal the deal for Edmonton. Yeah, he's been such a big part of this team since since he he came in, and this is what what he does. He he scores goals, and I don't know about his uh, expected goals or all the statistics behind it, but uh, he he looks really really good up there, and I do really hope we can find a way to keep him. I think outside of Leon Dreisaitl. Kane is the best winger that McDavid has ever had. And you look at some of the guys that he's had success with. with. Connor has played well with um, sort of big, rugged forwards like Milan Lucic for a short period of time and uh, uh, Patrick Maroon for one season. But Evander Kane is a big, strong power forward who also has speed 
and more scoring touch than either of those guys had. And if, if Patrick Maroon can score 27 goals playing mm-hmm. on McDavid's line, you know, what could Evander Kane do in a full season? He had 22 goals in just half a season. Yeah. He was on he was on pace for over 40. Uh, now, there's no guarantee that if he comes back next year that he's going to score 40 goals, but I also wouldn't bet against it because he's playing with the best playmaker in the league at, in the prime of his career. I think Connor could put up over 130 points next year. So yeah. I, shouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Kane ended up scoring 40 if he sticks around. Yeah, and you know what really like surprised me is when when he goes out there with like thirty or forty seconds left on the on the box play with yeah uh, McDavid. I mean, when, and look at like he he isn't always on the first power play unit, but no. when the second unit gets out there, even for a short period of time, Kane is almost always on that unit. There there was a yeah. few times when they had injuries that he started as the net front guy on the first power play unit. But for the most part, he's been a second power play unit guy. And in limited power play time, he's scoring goals there. So it just yeah. shows you this, this is an effective player. And the majority of his 22 goals uh, came at uh, five on five. It, but this, this is a player who, you know, is the Oilers have needed for so long. They, they severely were lacking talent on the wings. And yeah. when you, when you're able to pick up Zach Hyman in the off season and Evander Kane in the middle of the season, now you've added two excellent left wingers that you didn't have a year ago. Yeah. And it's been so, such a big difference from, from last year, as you were saying that they, they make all the difference in, in the world, just being, uh, like hard to play against mm-hmm. both of those guys, and like it, it's such a big difference. And I mean, Kane can both obviously score. His his second goal last night on the on the power play was like an amazing shot, but also passed the puck. I know when he first came in, he had those those first couple of games adjusting and getting up to speed. And I thought his passing game were a bit off and his skating were, were slow and, and such, but since Which was understandable too, because he yeah. missed almost 10 months without yeah. playing in the NHL from the time the, the regular season ended with the sharks all the way to January, you know, halfway through the following season when he was bought out and eventually picked up by the Oilers. Um, yeah. But speaking of uh, his line mate, McDavid, uh, I, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. He had another great game uh, in game two, picking up another two assists on Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi's goals. But what impressed me about McDavid the most in game two wasn't his offensive production. It was how physical he was. He had four hits yeah. in the game. And you can start to see that he started to add this new element to his game where he is using his speed to win races to pucks. And if that means he has to knock someone over to get there, like he, he hit a few guys down to the ice and that's not something we're used to seeing from McDavid. And I'm not saying he has to uh, play a bruising style night after night. I I don't think that uh, your franchise player necessarily has to do that, but it is good to see that he isn't afraid to, mix it up once in a while and confront someone and, and do that. Yeah. And this season he's become such a complete player mm-hmm. with the physicality, as you were saying, but also the defensive side of the park face-offs. Yeah. His uh, face-off his... percentage was actually better than dry sidles this year, which was really surprising yeah. to me. Yeah. So, so he, he really picked it up even further. So, uh, um, yeah, it looks really good, and and if you can keep keep up being physical against those defenders of LA, and uh, they will they will wear down. And you know, th- so, there's some big matchups in this series. Like, you know, one thing that people talked about going into. Uh, this series was uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl facing off against Kopitar and Deneau. And 
the Kings' top two centers got the better of the Oilers' top two centers in Game 1. But Edmonton really responded in Game 2 like they weren't going to let that happen again, especially on home ice. As the series goes back to L.A. now, do you think that the Kings are going to be hard matching even more against the Oilers and really trying to focus on McDavid? I do. And Todd uh, is a, a hard line matching coach. And he's, he's going to do it even more since now can have less change. So I do it. That's why I, I'm thinking it's better for us to go back to 11 and 7 next game just to be able to to create mismatches there and put maybe McDavid out with um, Cassian and which other player is the the 11th guy. Yeah, and I could I could see them doing that as well, just to have the one extra defenseman, and then you could have McDavid rotate through, uh, you know, having him double shift with the fourth line or third line every once in a while. Um, the thing that I think is really impressive, though, the Oilers scored six goals in Game Two, and McDavid only had a point on two of them. So you're really starting to see the depth scoring come through in the big moments more than we've seen in the past. Uh, so even if they do try to really focus on shutting down McDavid, I feel like I'm more confident than I've ever been that the that the third line and the fourth line and, and even Dreisaitl's line will be able to come through and, and give them some offense that they're not used to getting from those units. Yeah, and that's what we've been seeing since uh, since Woodcroft took over. Uh, just uh, different lines going out there every night and being uh, being the best line of the night. It's not always the, the McDavid line that has to do all the work. So, and and that's really encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Uh Let's talk about the special teams, though. The Oilers uh, scored two power play goals in the game. They also got a shorthanded goal from Darnell Nurse, who, you know, we talked about in game one, didn't have his best game, but I thought really stepped up in game two and looked a lot better. Um, the Kings aren't a great special teams club. I, I believe they had the third worst power play in the league this year, and they were also a bottom 10 team on the penalty kill. Whereas the Oilers are a very strong special teams club, especially with their power play. I mean, they have as deadly a power play as there is in the NHL. And the, and the penalty kill improved a lot under Jay Woodcroft as well in the last three months of the season. We're starting to see the refs also call more penalties than we're used to seeing the past couple of years in the yeah. playoffs. Do you think that if this trend continues, that the Oilers have a much better chance to win in the series than if they were going to have to get it done at five on five. Well, yes, because we're, we're seeing the difference um, right now when we're getting the, the power play, we, we, we can score goals uh, and the power play, both units look uh, sharp and ready and, and have scored. So that's really good. But also the, the the box play units have, have been outstanding. Well, yeah, I mean, having the one of the top power plays in the league go up against one of the bottom penalty kills, that favors the mm. Oilers in a major way. But even though, like I was saying, if if the if they keep getting more opportunities with the man advantage, the Oilers should win. I still think yeah. that they have improved enough at five on five that they don't, need to rely just on the power play to win games. Whereas in the past, that was kind of the reputation that they had is that uh, this was a team that really leaned heavily on their superstars and, and yeah. uh, you know, having a close to 50% power play earlier in the season uh, in order to win games that maybe they didn't deserve to win. Now I feel like that they can go into a game and, and feel like, well, if, if we don't get a bunch of power plays, we still have a good shot to win tonight. Yeah, definitely. They, as you were saying, the five-on-five five play is uh, is looking much, much better uh, now than uh, at the start of the season. So, I feel I feel confident, even if 
even even if we don't have a special team at all, that we're a better five on five team than LA. Yeah, agreed. And uh, of course, at the other end of the ice, Mike Smith, as I mentioned, posted a shutout. He became one of only six goalies in NHL history over the age of 40 to record a shutout in the playoffs. Uh, Kim, after watching how well Smith played in a response game after a very disappointing end to game one, (laughs) how much more confident are you in Mike Smith going forward here? I am confident in his abilities, and I I do feel that the, the team plays a much better defensively with him in that because of the way he, he handles the puck and, and such. What I'm worried about is if this series goes to seven games and if we look onwards from that, do Mike Smith, I mean, as you were saying, he's 40 years old. Uh, can he play all the games? How How is his injury status going to be if he plays like seven games here and go to maybe another series. So I'm wondering if we're maybe going to try to rest him for one of the uh, LA games in LA. And I wouldn't do that, honestly. I mean, during the regular season, I think the Oilers were a tandem goaltending team. And they could sort of split the starts between Koskinen Mm -hmm. And Mike Smith, we've seen that for a few years now, but come playoff time, I really think you need to just ride with one goalie. And because Smith missed so much time due to injury this season, I think he's well rested. Like he, he hasn't been overworked. He only played 28 games this season, so he should have lots of gas in the tank and be able to go on a deep run. If this team uh, can continue to, put the puck in the net and give him the run support that he needs. But really, you know, I think he's super motivated to take a, the best chance he can to win a Stanley cup here, because as we said, at age 40, he doesn't have a lot of cracks at it left. So, and with where this team is at and how well they're playing, this might be his last really good shot to get there. Now he is under contract for next season too. But we don't know if he's going to be the starting goalie next year. No. So I have a feeling that he's going to want to seize this opportunity, and you know, at least at least win around and and hopefully further. Yeah, uh, as you were saying, I, I just hope he his health will will hold, hold up. up. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not super confident that it will over a long hard series. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I think you have to like dragging out of, of the net to to get him to to leave it to to Koskinen. So um, yeah, he will he will be in there for sure. Definitely. And as the sh- the series uh, shifts to LA for Game Three now, who would you like to see? step up even more and really have a stellar effort uh, as the the series goes on the road. Uh, I would like to to get uh, Hyman on the on the scoreboard mm-hmm. a, a bit more. Um, and I do really hope that uh, Pugliarvi uh, keeps on scoring so he just can That was a great shot in the media. Yeah. I'm I, I and look I know he takes uh, some flack from the media for his lack of scoring, but Jesse Pugliarvi does so many good things. It just, he hasn't scored as many goals as we would like to see, but yeah. he does a lot of dirty work for McDavid in the corner. He frees up pucks. He extends plays. Uh, he's very strong defensively. As soon as he can start to finish a few more of the point blank chances that he gets, yeah. he's going to be, uh, an undisputed top line winger in the league. I, I I think that he already is at at the very least uh, a top six forward, but uh, he'll leave no doubt that he's a, a top line winger uh, if he can you know become at least a twenty goal scorer. And, and I think that he does have the potential to score twenty to twenty five goals next season. I do as well. I think it's mostly a, a confident thing. Uh, 
when when he had those uh, missed opportunities and stuff. Uh, I think it got into him his head a bit. Yeah, and and he also said that in in the Finnish newspapers. So, yeah, every once in a while, I I seem to see a an interview that he's uh, given with a, a Finnish news outlet, uh, and then it, it yeah. gets tra- it gets translated back to English, and sometimes uh, something can get misconstrued d- d- about how he phrased it. But uh, mm. I I don't know. I I think that. Uh, He's such a big part of this team, and I hope that uh, the Oilers will be able to keep him around this summer. But as for Zach Hyman, like you said, he works so hard every shift. You know, yeah. y- you you never have to question the effort that Zach Hyman is going to give you. Um, I would like to see him get on the scoreboard too. I, I think he's had some chances, uh, and, and he's he's such a dangerous player on the penalty kill too. Uh, he scored a couple shorthanded goals this season, and. Uh, I really like when he's out there with Nugent Hopkins. I think those two uh, can be dangerous. Uh, they have a, they have a man. really good connection there. So yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's just a matter of time before he finds the twine and uh, gets his first goal of the series here. But yeah, I, I think uh, I agree with you on that. Hyman could be a guy that uh, that steps up. And Nugent Hopkins, I didn't think that he had the best first game, but. In the second game, he looked uh, a little bit better, and I, I think that even though he's not quite at the top of his game yet, he's he's progressing, and I, I think that we're going to have a, a breakout performance from him coming up here too. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, would you keep the third line intact? Yeah, I, I think I would. Um, I sometimes wish that I, Nugent Hopkins had a little more skill to play with. And that's no disrespect to Derek Ryan. Derek Ryan is, you know, a very smart, understated two-way player. Uh, you know, and, and he does he does well on draws and on the penalty kill as well. But uh, Nugent Hopkins doesn't have the talent that he's used to playing with down on the third line. And maybe he will next year when a guy like Dylan Holloway arrives. Then yeah. he'll have uh, another top young player to play with. But... For right now, he kind of has to get a little bit done on his own. Although he he still is on the top power play unit, let's not forget that. So he he still does get to play with McDavid and Drysaitel, and he he's always been a better power play player than an even strength player. Going all the yeah, way man. back to junior when he played for the yeah. Red Deer Rebels, he really thrives with the man advantage where he's able to use his skill and his smarts to generate offense. So, uh, you know, maybe he'll be chipping in some assists on the power play, but uh, he's a guy who you can throw it on the ice in any situation and feel good about it. Definitely. Uh, I would like to see him score some more. Uh, Yeah. But uh, as we were saying on the power play, He's such a big part of that, and and when he w- was injured for a while there, the power play didn't really look the same. Yeah, I mean, Kyler Yamamoto kind of replaced him for a while, but there there was also a time when Puliyarvi was out, and yeah. uh, Yamamoto and Evander Kane replaced uh, Nugent Hopkins and and Puliyarvi on the the first power play unit, and it still had some success, but it, it's just before McDavid came to Edmonton, Nugent Hopkins ran the power play. And now that McDavid's there, the the whole power play runs through him. But it's still so helpful to have a guy with as much skill as Nugent Hopkins on the other half wall setting up plays. And he can also go down in the bumper position right below the goal line. Uh, He he does a great job of sometimes getting passes over to Dreisaitl in the slot because they're always looking for that cross-ice pass from McDavid. Sometimes if it comes from another passing option, it can catch teams off guard. So, yeah, I, I think that he does a lot of his uh, best work there. I also want to ask you about uh, Josh Archibald. Uh, he's now gained clearance to travel to the United States and play on the road. He wasn't able to all this season because he was unvaccinated. Um, but now because of uh, his heart condition, I, I guess they can't force him to get the, the vaccine and, and he's going to be able to play down there. Look, despite what people might think about him as a result of, you know, some of his 
uh, personal choices as well as uh, a bad penalty that he took in the playoffs last year that led to an unfortunate goal against uh, against the Winnipeg Jets. I think that Josh Archibald still brings something to this team. He's so tenacious on the forecheck. He hits everything in sight, and he can chip in an occasion. Uh, he hasn't yet this year, but he only played, I think, seven games in the regular season. So it's he's missed a lot of time. But I really do think he brings something to the lineup. What about you? Yeah, I do. I, I wasn't impressed at all during the his games the, in the regular season. Mm-hmm. He understandable because he he hadn't played or even practiced that much. But uh, and and I wasn't like super happy about him coming into the lineup uh, for for game two. But I was really impressed with his play and I. Absolutely, thought he he brought something to to the team, and I I do hope he he gets into the next game. Yeah, and, and that was the only thing that they really changed from game one to game two is um, going from eleven and seven to twelve and six by inserting yeah. Archibald in. Um, but you were saying that you were thinking that maybe they should go back to eleven and seven for uh, game three, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Just to get the the mismatch. Um, when uh, when LA um, tries to line match. So do you know? But do you I, have an idea of who you would take out of the lineup? Because I'm guessing you would want to keep Archibald in then. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's e- either Archibald or or Cassian, and they have like a similar style. So it's I don't know. It's hard know. to take Cassian out either because. Yeah. Even though he's not putting the puck in the net right now, you just look at he's like a wrecking ball out there. And very similar to what I just said about Archibald, he hits everything in sight. You know, he's always looking to line someone up for that huge open ice hit. He just missed. I don't know if you noticed that too. There were a couple times where he had someone in his sights and it looked like he was going to level the boom and just barely missed at the last second. But I have a feeling he's going to catch someone in one of the next few games and just absolutely annihilate them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming. And when, when you're playing against a a team that likes to forecheck as much as the Kings do, it's good to have someone who can kind of give that physicality back to them and, and show that we're not going to get pushed around. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, um, uh, I think, yeah, as the as the game two wore on, the all the all the physicality uh, wore on the on the LA defenders. Yeah. So and if we can keep on doing that throughout the series, uh, it will be they they won't hold hold up. We we will be able to to catch them off guard and and such. So I think it's super important to just keep on doing what they're doing yeah i'm on the same page as you i mean and, and like we said everyone is starting to hit now you're, you're starting to see guys like mcdavid even play a little more physical than we're used to yeah. yamamoto yeah. you know we said isn't the biggest guy in the world but he doesn't back down from anyone um so yeah that's that's what it takes to win in the playoffs you have to be willing to play that physical style and um last year when the oilers played the jets we we can talk about all the penalties that weren't called, but at the same time, uh, the Jets played a style that wasn't a great match for the Oilers. The Oilers like to mm. trade chances with teams and and really you know use their skill to to dominate. And it, it just it it wasn't a good matchup for them. They the Jets just sort of played a a more physical style than the Oilers wanted to, and that had a big impact on the series. It did, uh, and we we were out goalied and out. We were out goalied too. I mean, Connor Hellebuck was the MVP of that series, yeah. uh, and and Mike Smith wasn't bad in the playoffs last year. You know, he no. lost he lost all four games, but realistically, as good as he played, it, it, it the reason that they lost wasn't because of him. They they lost because. Connor Hellebuck was just 
absolutely incredible in that entire series. They, the Oilers, yeah. they they couldn't muster very much offense at all on him, and uh, it it really had nothing to do with Smith. No, none well, whatsoever. It... Well, Kim, before I let you go here, uh, I just want to get a prediction from you. Uh, I, I know we're two games into the series now, but. Um, I'm guessing you think the Oilers are going to win, but how many games do you think they uh, close it out in? I think we'll split here in LA and then we'll win two uh, out. So four, two, six games. I think that's a pretty good prediction. I guessed, uh, or I predicted five games uh, before the Mm. series. So the Oilers need to win four straight to make me look smart. But, uh, (laughs) if, if not, uh, I think six games is probably uh, a safer bet that, uh, that, that will come true. Um, before I let you go now, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, my, uh, Twitter handle is, uh, Uh, I think it's pretty hard to, to uh, say so, it, I guess you can uh, write it in uh, in your uh, podcast uh, information if people want to find me. We uh, will tag so, uh, you in it for sure. So no worries there. Perfect. Well, man, listen, thanks so much again for being on the show. It was great to finally talk to you. We followed each other for a while, but this is the first time we've actually been able to have a conversation and talk some Oilers. So. I'm great, uh, grateful that you were able to make the time uh, to do this, and hopefully you'll be back on the show again some someday. Thank you for having me. It was it was a blast. Always welcome. All right, have a good night, my friend. Bye bye. Okay, so for Kim Alstrom, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever podcast. We're out.